This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. This is Dwight Schultz. I played Reginald Barkley, otherwise known as Broccoli, on Star Trek Next Generation and Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM. T.O. Gray Hot. Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey. I am your host, Amy Nelson, and joined with me is the wonderful Joe Keegan, last host standing. Hi, Joe. Hi, Amy Nelson. How are you? I'm doing good. We are both on lockdown from this virus going around. How is your first week at home? It's very strange because obviously I'm like a social animal. Um, and like to work in a school with thousands of people in it. So this is just very, very odd in the streets. One thing I've noticed when I've gone out to walk the dogs in the morning is the silence. Yeah. You can hear birds and you can hear the sea. You can't hear any cars. It's just very eerie. Yeah. But Driving is a whole nother story. I mean, the roads are empty. Do you know yeah. what? I've just spent all this money in a new car and I can't even use right. it. Stuck, they're gathering dust. <laughs> so that's well. Soon enough, I'm sure this is this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. Yes. Post-apocalypse. Yes. So um, let's get to some Babel conference feedback. We are going to read some comments that were left for Badass Guinan Moments, which was Earl Grey 317. So, Joe, why don't you get us started? Okay, our trusty listener, Vera Bible, says, our relationship is beyond friendship, beyond family, and I will let him go, and you must do the same. And that's not, as not, as Guinan's words, not Vera's, just in case you thought she was stealing a quote. Such a great scene from Guinan. I also love her talk to LaForge about Barclay and Hollow Pursuits. Great pick. I think what makes her badass is the fact that she is unafraid to take a stand, unafraid of people's judgments, and unafraid to take an unpopular opinion. Also, she'll stab Hugh with a fork when necessary. Laugh out loud. Justin, you will be greatly missed. I hope at some point in the future you can come back to guest host. Live long and prosper. Oh, that's so nice. Thanks, Vera, for your comment. Um, yeah, the more we talked about Guinan, the more obvious it was that everything about her was kind of badass. And I think you've maybe hit the nail on the head um, about how unafraid she is to to do the things that she feels need doing. And you're right about Justin. Um, although we will try and drop in a few book references every, every now and again. Because that's all he was yes. really good for, wasn't it? 
Right. That's all. <laughs> no, Vera, great picks. I had forgotten the one about Hollow Pursuits and really how she helps LaForge sort of understand Barclay a little bit more. So great pick. And yes, we are missing Justin still. I will control my emotions. So let's move on. Jimmy Goss writes, it's the only way to beat him. The only way to save him. That is your chair. And again, that was Guinan, not Jimmy's, in case you were confused. And he con continues, says, oh, also, that was setting number one. Does anyone want to see number two? So thank you, Jimmy, for putting in your two moments for Guinan. Both of them very badass. Also, Jimmy only put in two words of his own. Oh, also. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. <laughs> no good picks for quotes there like that. Uh, Brian McVicker also says, the scenes and measure of a man when she points to Picard that making an army of datas turns them into a race of disposable people, essentially a slave class. Yes, that's, that's yeah, really important. Um, I think we learn a lot from history when we talk about slavery, and I think that's what um, that discussion was about, the whole episode was really about. How we treat yeah. new things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All great picks. And thank you guys for uh, leaving your comments and participating with us on the Babel Conference. Well, Joe, uh, mm -hmm. we have a guest joining us today. Do we? we do. Uh, we would like to welcome Kevin Scarf to the show. Uh, now, Kevin, thanks for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. So is this your first time on Earl Grey? It is, yes. Okay. Well, why don't you tell our listeners about your Trek story and how you found Trek FM? Well, I found Trek FM uh, during the 50th anniversary when the network was doing the daily rewatch of the entire uh, Star Trek canon. That's when I found Trek FM. And that I was from there to here. Yes, th exactly. That was so much fun. And the hosts were so great uh, that I decided to stick around. And uh, I was so happy to meet you and, and a bunch of other Trek FM people last summer at, uh, at Las Vegas. It was, uh, it was really great. So that's why I'm here. Um, I really started watching Star Trek, I guess, when I was in high school. I, I've always been a, a big sci-fi nerd, so uh, it was always sort of in my radar, the original series. But I have a distinct memory of the first episode of Next Generation airing on an evening when I had a drama club rehearsal at high school. We were doing a production of Annie. And I, I said, I have to leave by 7 o'clock so I can get home to watch this new uh, Star Trek show. So... Uh, uh, and so really next gen is my, is my, uh, is where my real Star Trek fandom started. Cool. Well, that's perfect. That's why you're here on Earl Grey. Thanks. <laughs> Kevin, tell me your surname. Do you ever pretend like dress up and go out and pretend that you're really fancy and pronounce it like Sharf? Ke um, Kevin, Kevin Sharf. Well, you know, lots of people pronounce it that way, so yeah. I am, I'm used to hearing it. Um, I always tell people, you know, you didn't go to elementary school, so um, <laughs> why would why would my last name be Sharp? Uh, okay. uh, I did a little research into the family. It turns out we're Irish. Um, okay. It seems like a German name, but we're actually an Irish family, uh, and uh, yeah, we're descended from Vikings, so that's pretty cool. Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, today we are going to talk about Starfleet 
through Wesley Crusher's eyes. And I found this very interesting. And Kevin, you came up with the idea. Um, we had gone through back and forth a couple of ideas. Yep. And I sent you a whole list. Yep. And you're like, let's just do this. And I was like, that is brilliant. Because we know so much about Starfleet. But now we're going to see it through Wesley's eyes. So what led you to think about this topic? Well, it just... Specifically, when you're thinking about Starfleet Academy, it seems like such a great, a great institution. But the more you break down what they, what they, how they talk about it, it sounds awful. And uh, so, you know, Wesley was a character that was so excited to go to Starfleet Academy, and then gives it up before he finishes. So it just seems like like a topic that's ripe for discussion. Like, if this institution is so great, why would he quit? Nice. That's a good question. Yeah. Wow. Well, looking forward to getting to that answer. Mm -hmm. So the episodes, listeners, that we will be referring to as Coming of Age, Season 1, Episode 18, Menage a Troy, Season 3, Episode 24, The Final Mission, Season 4, Episode 9, The Game, Season 5, Episode 6, The First Duty, Season 5, Episode 19, and Journey's End, Season 7, Episode 20. I want to know, sort of, basically, how did you go about um, watching these? Um, how were you deciding what to include in your notes? Um, just sort of, how did you approach this topic? Uh, Kevin, let's start with you. Well, I watched them chronologically, uh, starting with the Season 1 episode, Coming coming of Age, and finishing with the, the Season 7 episode. Um, Sometimes the Starfleet Academy plots weren't the A plot. So as exciting as the Menage Troy main plot is, that really wasn't why I was watching that episode. So I was focusing on the scenes with Wesley. And a lot of times it's Wesley and Picard. Um, I made notes about any time they talked about what programs are, um, are being uh, offered, what classes they're taking. And sometimes it just made me scratch my head and wonder why. Joe, how about you? Well, I watched them on Netflix. Is that the question? No. And then your approach <laughs> I, to... Yeah. Um, I kind of watched them all today with the exception of the game and um, First Duty because I've seen them quite recently. And a bit like Kevin, I was focused on the Wesley aspects of it because that's what we're talking about. Um, I think I wouldn't... I would join Starfleet with the hopes that I could get through it and graduate and become a Starfleet officer, but I don't think I'd be very good at it, given everything that they make you do. I think I get, could get through the entrance exam, with one exception. Um, but yeah, interesting. What about you, Amy? Yeah, when I was watching these, uh, it, sort of the same thing. Although I did watch Menage a Troy because that was fun. Um, but yeah, like coming of age, just fast forward. And then I saw Wesley. Okay, let's watch this. Um, so I did that quite a bit, like the what game. You, and, what, why'd you fast forward? Yeah. Because coming of age didn't really, I mean, again, the A plot didn't really have much to do. And some things on Menage a Troy, I fast forward, like the final mission Total oh, yeah, fast forward. So you didn't fast forward it because you didn't think it was a good episode. You were just literally watching for the Wesley bits. 
Exactly. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. And just trying to stay focused. Um, and when I was taking my notes, I was like, man, this is going to be a really good discussion because, you know, Joe, you and I were both teachers. And so sort of finding what is still being used in the 24th century as to what, how we run schools and, you know, like tests and stuff like that, we'll get into it later. But, uh, it's very interesting to see this idea of Starfleet, almost like a university, you know, secondary, um, so I'm very interested to see our thoughts on this. So let's get to our first topic, um, the entrance exam. <laughs> what an exam. Well, first of all, you have to have a pretest in order to be eligible to take the entrance exam. Exactly. It seems, it seems this was the episode that made me question all of Starfleet Academy was this entrance exam. You know, there's, I don't know how many students attend, but if they only allow one person from each planet to go, how do they staff all of their ships with officers? That was my big question. Um, that test seems so unfair. Um, Wesley had a friend on the on the Enterprise who almost killed himself because he didn't pass the pretest. That's a lot of pressure to put on someone who's 16. I don't know. It just it seems like too much for me. Well, Wesley's only 15. He's 16. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then the test itself, they all answer the same questions at the same time and your every question is timed that takes a lot like that doesn't allow for people's learning abilities or ways that they take tests if you all are sitting in a room answering the exact same questions at the exact same time with not even a proctor there to keep people from cheating which sort of happened during the test it just doesn't seem like the written part of the test is fair to, to begin with let alone the psych test which is let's torture our kids before we get them into school. Wow. <laughs> I, I had an issue with the fact that, like that hyperspace physics question, that was the matter-antimatter ratio. That's not even like a problem-solving question. That's just, that's just basic technical knowledge. Do you mean the, the matter-antimatter ratio is always one-to-one? Because they mutually annihilate each other. And you don't really need to have a knowledge of science. It's just Star Trek facts. It's like knowing the original series came before the next generation. I mean, it's just really simple. And I had another issue with that test and that uh, Wesley said he realised it was a trick question. We don't, I don't know about you, Amy, but we don't ask trick questions. We, I was thinking about the way we run our exams, which are, aren't happening this year. Um, and there's a list of command words that pupils have to know that give them instructions about what, how they're supposed to answer the question. Like, so I'm thinking from a maths example, um, like solve or evaluate or uh, calculate. Simplify. Yes, yeah. those kind of things. Um, so we don't ask trick questions. We're really, given their age, we're really specific about what we want them to try and figure out. And that was just more general knowledge than anything else. And what were those giant computers? Those <laughs> were like something from the 1950s. Just for doing a they test. They totally on. reminded me. I don't know if you had them, but 
when I took driver's ed in the high school and they were these big consoles and you had to practice driving on this. It, that's what it reminded me of. <laughs> Did you have computers when you went to school? Had they been invented? Oh, Stop, Joe. Oh. Did you not go to school by candlelight? <laughs> wow, Amy, you're younger than I thought. Joe, sorry. I really appreciate, um, Kevin, that you brought up like that pretest and how, what was that kid's name? His, His name was Jake. Yeah, Jake. And, you know, he goes off into this shuttlecraft because, yeah, he just can't deal with the pressure. And that, I mean, yeah, you bring up really a lot of good points. So I want let me stay focused on the <laughs> testing part. Like there is so much testing going on in education. It used to not be this way. The pendulum has swung. There are like my ninth grade students. It's terrible here in Nevada. They have to take a uh, algebra one end of year course. They have to take um, like an ACT practice, and these are mandatory. And they have to take a uh, another uh, general test. I'm, and then that's not even that's in addition to my test that I give them just on you know mm. units. So there's like three ACT. One, it's called MAP, M-A-P. I don't know what it stands for. And these are all days that we lose instruction time. It's very annoying. So they've got this pretest to even get in. Then what I sort of lumped these tests in was that they have like your psych test, your written or computer, and then there's an oral that they have to take in order to get in. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm like, those are a lot of tests. And I guess they are testing different ways of thinking, like you were saying. Um, but it's still a lot of testing. And it's almost sad to see that we can't learn to evaluate others besides tests. Mm. I think we over test pupils a lot of the time. Um, well, wait, oh, sorry, when you go. Speaking of over-testing, these kids were being tested even when they didn't think they were being tested. Wesley was told he was on a break when all of a sudden that big guy with the webbed fingers came along, and that was a test for Wesley to make sure that he knew about the rituals of that particular species. Like, that's such esoteric knowledge that you can't, you can't ensure that every student is going to know that. But that was a test when Wesley didn't even think he was being tested at the time. That is not fair. That's right. Yeah, because there's like, oh, we're testing your cultural sensitivity or, you know. But was he Rondon? Oh, he said, I am, the big guy said, I am Rondon. Yep. And then Wesley yes. said, I realized he was Zoldan or something. I was I, like, yeah, I can't remember what the species was. Was yeah. So the big guy named himself Rondon. I never quite got that. Was that his name or was that a species? Yeah, that was his name. Okay. Right. So it was Rondon And then when Wesley's Zoldan. like, well, I, I noticed his webbed, you know, fingers. Good for and swimming. And then said the species, hmm. yeah. Interesting. But yeah. I mean, obviously that test wasn't that important because Mordock didn't know that information and he was the one who ended up getting in. So, but right? why, why test it? Why test it if it's not important? 
Yeah. This episode made me crazy. So let's talk a little bit more about that psych test because we had a short trek, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This last season uh, where they were testing in order to just serve on the enterprise. So we're seeing this level of test that it's like, okay, you have to take a pre-test to take the entrance exam. Then you have the entrance exam. Then I'm sure you have 20 gazillion when you're in school, school, in Starfleet. And then if you are to serve on the Enterprise and maybe other ships that you have to take another test. Lifelong learning. That, That is, oh my gosh. It just dawned on me that if Starfleet is full of Vulcans and Betazoids, are telepathic why do you need psych tests well because some betazoids are a little crazy because remember <laughs> diana has worked with you know some so um, yeah interesting yeah tam Can Wait, I just, how uh, many oh sorry um jake curland the guy that kind of washes out and then nearly kills himself in the shuttlecraft mm-hmm. um i was like, looking at him and it's like he looks way older than wesley seemed they're standing mm-hmm. together turns out he was 23 <laughs> oh. He played that part, but yeah. How old was Wesley? The, when he played, the character was fifteen, but and I think Will Wheaton was about the same age. I think okay. he's about the same age as I am. So, did you? I question Kevin. Did you like Wesley growing up? Did you like him as a character because you were similar ages? Yeah, you know, I know a lot of people didn't care for Wesley, but I always sort of identified with him. Mm. Um, It did get annoying when he saved the ship a lot, but I think they smoothed that out after the first season, especially, and when they actually gave him a role to do on the ship, a job, uh, he became less annoying. Um, And I found watching this series of episodes, I really with one exception, I really did enjoy watching Wesley on this, on this sort of journey we, we took this week. Yeah, we definitely got to see him in a different light, I think. And I really enjoyed going through this little exercise with Wesley. Okay, see listeners, see if you get a minute, look up the actor that played Jake Curland. His name is Stephen with PH Gregory. Um, he's aged very well. <laughs> okay. Look him up in IMDb. Just saying. I'll have to close that window because I'm just going to stare at his eyes. Um, oh my goodness. He's away now. He's gone. Hey, oh yeah, so talking about the, the psych test, earlier when I said that I would get through the psych test relatively well, I think. No, get through the whole entrance exam relatively well. The psych test would be the one thing I would fail, I'm sure. Because when that happened, I'd be like running for the hills. Explosion, no. Flight or fight, it's flight. I'm going to run away. The psych tests are individually tailored to each candidate as well, right? Like sure. That was to test how Wesley stood up against losing a, a, losing a, a member of his crew or his, mm-hmm. a father figure. You know, uh, do you guys have an idea of what your psych test might be? Ooh, are we in the <laughs> bonus round oh, questions no, am, going am I, on? Am I the new Justin? Uh, <laughs> um... That's a very good question. That's... Think about it. We'll talk about it later. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, you know, it was interesting because how they portrayed the psych test, like, they wanted us and Wesley to be afraid of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, because when you saw uh, Mordok walking out and he was, like, shaking and, you know, because, like, they destroyed his brain. I mean, what... 
educational institution is going to do that to a student that wants you to be successful? I mean, just seeing Mordock Watt out there, I was like, oh my gosh, that's just terrible, which only scared Wesley more. But I, and I love the interaction between Worf and Wesley when they're in the holodeck, you know, and it's like, you are scared of Worf. And then Worf's like, only fools have no fear. I'm like, that's true. So yes, there's fear and you have to learn how to do with it. And, you know, Wesley's like, how do they know what my deepest fear is? I mean, because how do they know? Really? Yeah. I mean, you can take personality tests and, you know, how do you learn best and, you know, educational. I'm sure we've all taken them. They're on Facebook like, all the time. Look but. at ink blots and like if you see a butterfly, you're fine. If you see like a pool of blood, <laughs> then you're probably a psycho. So, right. Yeah. You're not gonna maybe, so, maybe Deanna sends them reports. Ooh. Maybe he's always being tested 24 7 on the Enterprise. That could be, yeah. <laughs> so for Starfleet to, you know, give him this test of recognizing his greatest fear is not being able to make the choice of life and death, like who to save and who not to. I mean, wouldn't that be everyone? That's something that a captain is going to have to make. Officers have to make those decisions. Um, so I, I think about, well, why wouldn't that or a similar type of test be the psych test, because everyone's going to have to face that if you're in Starfleet, probably. But if everyone was given the same psych test, everyone would know about it, and it would be it wouldn't even be a way to gauge anything, right? If I told you that this is what was going to happen, you would go in prepared. About like and they want you unprepared. Yeah. Except exactly. Psychological. I suppose they could use the Kobayashi Maru as a a psych test as well. Like how, like, well, maybe that's what the Kobayashi Maru was. Yeah. Hmm. Testing your leadership. It's a measure of hmm. your psychological wellness to lead. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Now, they do destroy a whole lot of equipment in these psych tests. Now, I know it's Star Trek and they can replicate anything, but you blow up. A, it seems dangerous. I, I guess they have it all. Um, they have it all controlled, but uh, it, it seems it still seems dangerous. It could have been a holodeck, maybe. I guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, question for you: Who would you have saved? You've got two people, and one is afraid to move. He can move, but he's afraid to move. The other one is pinned down under, you know, stuff that fell on him. Wesley chooses to save the guy who was injured and left the guy who was too afraid to move. What does that say about Wesley? Wouldn't it be easier to just grab the guy who can move, like grab him first and then on the way, grab the injured guy, just go over and slap him and say, snap out of it and help me move this guy. I, I think it makes Wesley look more heroic because he risked himself to save the injured person, the person who was calling for help. The other guy wanted, seemed like he wanted to die. So by res Wesley risked his own life to go in and save the guy. I think that that makes him look better. Um, so I probably, I'm saying this now in a, in a secluded bunker, but uh, it's, it's, uh, I think I probably would have made the same choice to save the person who wanted to be saved. 
I always got the impression that the the guy that he did save was more easily accessible to save. I know he was trapped under that piece of conduit, um, but once he got him out of that, it was relatively easy to get him out of the room. And it looked like there were more obstacles in the way of getting the guy that was just scared. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, so as we know, Wesley was not chosen. Mordock was chosen. And so a year goes by because that was season one. And now really longer than a year, but you know, he's counting. (laughs) Uh, Season three, the end of season three, we have Wesley who is going, made it in. His entrance exam results were in. And he's passed. So now all he has to do is take the oral exam, uh, which he should do fine, and then get into the academy. Right? That's what we're at. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Again, that. So with the last uh, episode, ent- um, coming of age, and then with this one, Menage a Troy, that's why I sort of was able to break up. There was some kind of written test, the psych test, the cultural sensitivity and the oral test. I think those were the four categories that makes up the entrance exam. Anything else that I might've missed on that? The the one test that looked like playing with a Rubik's cube was called the dynamic relationships test. That was the one Wesley helped Murdoch on. Oh. Um, I don't understand the purpose of that test, but uh, that was- Kevin, what you have to do, you have to get your rotation set and then you have to get your vector coordinates. Oh, is that what you have to do? Yeah. Oh, man. I, and I'm I, teaching vectors in my pre-calc class. You can get them to right play now. the game. <laughs> yes. But uh, at, the end of, uh, at the end of coming of age, uh, the, the proctor said that he hoped the other three uh, took the test again. Did you think Wesley had to go through all of those tests again before the oral exam? Probably. I believe so. And did he do that on the Enterprise? Did his friends torture him psychologically this time? Or did he have to get dropped out somewhere? It seems strange that this test couldn't be, these tests couldn't be done on the Enterprise. Yeah. You know, I was actually a little confused on coming of age because I was like, is Wesley on the Enterprise? But they were on a different location. So they dropped Wesley off on Relva 4 to take the test. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I, in my mind, every time I've seen it, except for this last one, I just assumed it was on the Enterprise. Yeah, it could be. Oh, and to your point, Kevin, when you're saying that they're not even being proctored, well, we all know that there's cameras everywhere. That's true. And so you want to cheat? Well, go ahead. We're going to catch you. I mean, and and the guy sort of said, yeah, we heard Wesley help you with the rotation thing. So they definitely were watching and listening so I think there's plenty of proctoring going on. I wish I had that amount of proctoring going on in my classroom. Web cameras over every kid's table. I need, yes, I need cameras at every angles to catch the kids watch with their eyeballs <laughs> trying to cheat. Ugh, it's so frustrating. I'm like, just tell me what you know. I don't need to know what your neighbor knows. I, they're telling me I need to know what you know in order for me to help you better. Mm. Seems reasonable. And it's just, again, that pressure of doing well, getting the A, getting the good grades, really gets in the way of true learning, in my opinion. You'd think that having served aboard the Starfleet's flagship, 
would go some way to support his application and maybe trump all the entrance exams that he had to take. He's been doing it for three years when Menagerie Troy comes up. Well, yeah, and even the one uh, female human was saying, oh my gosh, you have so much experience and you know we're all going to do bad because you have all this practical hands-on. But he had to go through the same... She really yes. annoys me. So she She's says, very self-doubting. But no, she said, was the line she says to Wesley, um, it's a good job that you're cute, otherwise you'd be really obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, you're really obnoxious. <laughs> um, and who wishes people a happy birthday a whole month before their birthday? Because the Vulcan girl says to Wesley, oh, you don't look old enough to be taking the test. And Wesley says, I'll be 16 next month. And annoying, obnoxious girl says, um, oh, happy birthday. <laughs> nobody wishes well, me a happy... Well, because you're not going to see. So, but nobody wishes me a happy birthday in July. Okay, if, if I was your co-worker and we weren't so good friends and didn't see each other every week... Then, you know, at the end of June, whenever school is out, we'll have a good birthday next month. And also, yeah. she was the one who was bragging about how smart she was, and yet she didn't know. She got tripped up on the trick question. I'm glad she <laughs> didn't, Ken. <laughs> she was out from the first yeah. test. Yeah, I have a minor issue, and I know I'm just reading into it way more than it was ever meant to be, but... Seeing the girl have a hard time was difficult in part because now we have this push to get females and, you know, girl students in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, you know, professions. Like it just was sort of glaring at how much she self-doubted herself, um, how she, you know, sort of undercut and was like, talking, oh, Wesley, you're so much smarter, blah, blah, blah. It it rubbed me the wrong way. And yeah. I'm sure it, I'm reading way too much into it, but I noticed it now. Well, it was 1987. Times were different. True. Yes. And Amy, interestingly, we've added a letter into STEM. We've added a? an A. Have we talked about this before? Yes. No, yeah. but it's going around. A for arts. Art. To make it steam. Yeah. Like, steam. Well, that brings me to a question about Starfleet Academy. Do you just go to you just go to Starfleet Academy or do you have to choose a major? I did a little research into West Point, thinking like that's a similar current day academy. And you can major in political science or or engineering at uh, West Point. Wesley's going to Starfleet to study generally. But what is he studying? Like, uh, there's one episode, we'll come to it, where he actually lists a couple of the classes he's taking, and they don't seem to have anything to do with the tests he took to get into Starfleet Academy. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. So um, <laughs> that's interesting. I always assumed that you would be on a certain track. So you're in the science track, right? The medical track or the... Engineering. Um, engineering or command track it seemed like command because we see wesley in first duty in red so i was just assuming command 
I wondered if all the cadets wore red, though. I don't. Did we see any cadets wearing a color other than red? I don't think so. But the only other cadets we saw were the were the first duty cadets from Nova Squadron. So yeah, and so if they were all in the same squadron, then yeah, yeah. So at the end of Menage Troy, uh, Wesley misses and his ride, uh, and he, so therefore he misses his oral examination. But he will take it next year. And what I loved about this, unlike Harry Kim, we have Wesley getting promoted to full ensign. So even though he hasn't done the schoolwork, this is where I think his experience and hands-on tactical work with the Enterprise D is rewarded. And so now he is an ensign without going to the academy. That gave me chills. I love that bit. Because I think when I watched it originally, I kind of wished it was me. Yeah. Because we're of a similar age. So, um, yeah. And then I was, then it brought me to think about Picard, the TV show. And I was like, why didn't that have the same effect? So Wesley is accepted mm -hmm. and we get to see his last mission on the Enterprise D, the final mission, uh, with Picard. So do we learn anything about academy admission admissions well it seems like there the academy has a fixed number of students and it can have no more or no less than that number of students because somebody dropped out and so one space opened up in starfleet academy and wesley started mid-semester because somebody somebody flunked out or I don't know, something happened to one student so starfleet academy must have a set limit and there must be exactly that number of students for it to function as an entity, because that just seemed weird to me. Mm -hmm. Indeed, it seems very inflexible. <laughs> so that doesn't seem weird to me. No? And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Yeah. So the school that I work at is, uh, it's called a Career and Technical Academy. And we have X number of seats. And those seats are divvied up into our nine programs. So not only does the kid have to apply, they have to declare which program they're going to be in. And they can't change. Like, you are making this declaration for the next four years of your life, which I think is a little harsh because we have, I mean, these kids are eighth grade, right? They're, they're like 13, 14. Yeah. Four years is a long time. And so they're making, yeah. So they have to stay within that one program for the four years. And if they drop out, uh, if we have spots open, then we can pick up sophomores, which is the second year. So we have freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. So at sophomores, that second year, we can pick up students um, that we lost from the freshman year. And so spots do open up, but we have that X number in it. So then it's very similar to Starfleet. Mm. But that just seems like it's the 20th, 21st century. And it's all down to economics and the number of staff you need and how many people you can safely fit in the building. Surely by the 24th century, given our technical wizardry and that we can, we've got warp speed and phasers we can fit as many or as little as we want and i don't think it would be as restricted as what they make it out to be 
like having one person from every planet. You know, and it's interesting, you know, as we talked about the testing and who's being allowed in, it seems to go contrary to this idea of utopia of we're, you know, progressing and we're learning what we want to learn. And well, if someone wants to go to Starfleet, then let them go to Starfleet, let them learn as much as they want to learn. Why are we limiting that when it seems contrary to what we hear in other episodes of our, you know, moral compass has increased and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. If we're supposed to be, you know, reaching our full potential, then why is there a limit on Starfleet? But then if if you make it that way, then you have to accept everybody that wants to go and not everybody will be capable of doing it, like academically or physically or emotionally to be what a Starfleet officer is supposed to be. So you get more washouts, I think, if... Anybody yeah. just allowed to sign up? Yeah, so there is a need to have the cutoffs, the limits, so that it can remain best of the best. Mm-hmm. Interesting. There's where you've got to find the balance. There is what we're seeing. It, it's it's just, like I say, it's just a very weird institution to me, and uh, just admissions policies, entrance exams, and what their programs are. Don't like, I would love to see a course calendar for um, Starfleet Academy. Somebody, that should be uh, somebody's project. What courses are available to all the students? Because it sounds like the way they talk about it, that everybody takes all the same classes and that can't be, that can't be right. No, I, yeah, I didn't get that. I didn't pick that up. I just sort of figured... Like, well, talking about the game where we have Wesley is in Starfleet and he comes for a vacation, I'm assuming semester break. So he's visiting and yeah, they talk about that he took anthropology and creative writing. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, okay, well, when you go to university, you know, you have to take your general ed courses and you have to have a humanity and a physical ed and you know, that those just sort of, you know, you take to get out of the way before you really focus on your major. So that's was sort of the idea that I was going at with this anthropology and creative writing. Of course, he could have taken anthropology because he saw Picard's example and how much he enjoyed it. So maybe he thought, oh, maybe I'll try this. So see, when you go to the university in the States, you have to take a whole bunch of other subjects that you, that's... you don't want to. Okay, that's totally different here. I went to university oh. and did physics and physics and there was some math in there um, and some astronomy. But I went to do physics and astronomy, so I didn't have to do anything anything apart from that. Really? Yeah. You didn't have to take, like, no. communications or English and writing no. and, like, a physical ed. Like, I took dance and aerobics a couple semesters. No. And humanities and like a... Nope. Man, no. It was two years of this general ed. Wow. Uh, In Canada, um, I went to... I didn't finish university, but when I went my first year, I was studying. You'll be happy to know, Amy. Math was my major. And um, 
so there were three in my first semester, there were three core classes I had to take. And then I had two electives and I could choose from anything. I took, I took humanities courses, but I knew friends who took, um, who took uh, physics and accounting as their, as their, um, as their electives. So there was no, you didn't have to have required humanities in the program I was in. I think I'd quite like to go to university in like the States or in Canada. I like the idea of doing, I'd like to go back to school, I think, and just do a whole bunch oh of Oh my gosh, stuff. me too. It's so much fun. I know. I wish I had the time and the money to just go and take classes at the university. I want to go back so bad. I loved I loved my uni days. Uh, do want, will we will we go together and like yes. live in the dorms or something? Yes. And then we can. Oh my gosh! Like in the movies, we can like start up a a house, like a fraternity or a sorority or something, yes. but it'd be mixed. What's what's there must be a word for it? Some Greek word. <laughs> and what would our Greek name be like? Oh, we need Rhea Papa Georgie. It would be Steady Alpha Five. Oh, okay. Let's. Oh, let's, yes. Let's do that. So, <laughs> are you, Kevin? Are you coming to university with us? Well, if you guys are there, I'm in. Sure. Let's, yeah. Let's do it. I like that yeah. idea. We need we need the no money situation so we can just you know improve ourselves and just t- have the time and not worry about bills and Precisely. other stuff. That'd be amazing. Yes. It was such a fun house. A bit like House Bunny or Bad Neighbors. Was it Bad Neighbors? We'd either, I think we'd all wash out. <laughs> I think we'd fail miserably because it would just be like being in Vegas. It'd be like party time, every time. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> we'd get, we'd like, it might happen. We'd get like a, a beer keg, even though I don't like beer because I've seen yeah, it in neither. the movies. <laughs> and like we'd run up the street with a beer keg. And we'd play a beer beer pong. I'm just we could do that like oh, in in, instead of a beer keg, we could have a wine barrel. Oh I'd be down for that. Wine barrel. Oh, some oh, <laughs> Chilean Carmenere. Yes. Let's do that. Yes. <laughs> so in when we're watching the game, we do get more of these lighthearted antics and practical jokes that we know that the uh, Starfleet Academy has. I was happy to know there was a Sadie Hawkins dance. What is that? Do you know what, what Sadie Hawkins is? I, I think Sadie Hawkins is a historical figure from U.S. history. Kevin? I do know what Sadie Hawkins is. We had Sadie Hawkins okay. dances here, too. Okay. Sadie Hawkins is the dance where the girl asks the guy to the dance. But who's Sadie Hawkins? I have no idea. I'm going to I do know this. She okay. was okay. a cartoon character from little abner uh back in the day so these started like in the 30s or 40s it was a it was a newspaper comic strip about um, hillbillies and sadie hawkins was man crazy uh and uh i only know this because i've seen the musical little abner and sadie hawkins runs around and chases the boys so that's who sadie is okay so Sadie Hawkins' is Girls' Choice Dance. So they have that at Starfleet Academy. And the practical <laughs> jokes. What was that? I was going to say Sadie Hawkins in an enlightened future, like the 24th century of Starfleet, seems a little sexist, even like going the other way. Um, because girls, I mean, 
boys could be asking boys, girls could be asking girls, you know, third gendered people could be asking one eyed tentacled monsters to the dance. So um, it just seems a little anachronistic for, <laughs> for Starfleet. Do they have one eye and many tentacles or is it like one eye on their tentacles, like one eye tentacle? It, uh, it depends. It depends what planet they're from. But Joe, you know, it doesn't really matter. No, it shouldn't. It they, shouldn't. They could be, it could be one-eyed, many-tentacle person in a relationship with one eye on each of their tentacles. Exactly. Don't know what the babies are going to look like, but love is love. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Agreed. Can we talk about these practical jokes? Academy. Yes, please. These seem potentially dangerous. There was something about <laughs> reprogram reprogramming an antimatter regulator to spray pepper spray. And chili like, sauce. Chili sauce, yeah. Same thing, really. Um, <laughs> that is something could have died. It's an ant it's designed for emitting antimatter, which is hugely dangerous. That actually got them expelled. Well, I think when he turned on his Wesley turned on his shower and got this mud shower, he had to, you know, but I don't, that's answer not, back. That's not dangerous. No, that's true. But now everyone knows don't mess with Wesley because <laughs> you're going to get pepper sprayed. <laughs> Could have gone horribly wrong. Just saying. Yeah. Moving on to first duty, <clears throat> making mistakes and... I sort of want to coin this as Starfleet's disciplinary action um, because it was very interesting watching specifically this episode and only focusing on Starfleet because we know the mistake and we know all of that, but like really focusing in on what is Starfleet doing um, and, and what do we learn about Starfleet. So I think from this one, we learned there obviously is administration, a hierarchy, where there's the superintendent and interesting enough, Picard got called to the superintendent as did Will. Or did he say I would have hate, hated to do that? Yeah. I don't think yeah. Will got called. Yeah. So Picard got called in. We get some quite interesting disciplinary actions different from each other, from Lacarno to Wesley to the others in the Nova squadron. So what did you think about the disciplinary action going on here, Kevin? Well, uh, it seemed like uh, it, it seemed like the, this cadets were getting away with something until the very end. It, it just seemed like like um, Starfleet Academy's investigative uh, arm wasn't really as effective as it could be. Uh, but given that and given that um, Wesley Wesley confessed at the end of that episode. I think the um, I think the punishments that were given seemed fair. Um, basically, Locarno threw himself on the sword to take one for the team, so the rest of them got off easier, but not e but not easy. I'm saying easier because Wesley had to repeat a year. Wesley was going to be shunned. Um, I think this episode more than anything plays into his attitudes in the, in journey's end uh, because he, he was going to be looked at, looked on as a pariah. You know, he, um, he, everybody knows what he did and he was sort of made an example of, and I think that uh, that may be a good, uh, a good 
policy that uh, that the administration uh, set down. Joe, what do you think about their discipline? The, it felt like a, it was like a court rather than an investigation, wasn't it? It felt very like a um, a court martial idea, very militaristic in a way, and. I would wonder what it would be like at a university if something like that happened just now. Like if you were taking part in an activity at uni and a student died, what would be the investigation? Would it be similar to that? I don't think it would be. I think it's purely because it's Starfleet. They're a, let's call them a military organisation, even though I don't necessarily think they are. Um, I think they would down the whole court-martial kind of getting the judge advocate general to kind of investigate it that's the way it felt i think kevin you're right i think the the punishment was fair they were caught out and i think it's picard if it wasn't for picard having that talk with wesley i don't think i think they would have got away with it i think so too amy's shaking her head Yeah, I agree with you that if Picard hadn't had that speech, well, they wouldn't have gotten away with it because Picard said, I'm going to tell if you don't, right, basically. But no, I think Locarno getting expelled and, you know, because he, you know, sort of took all the blame and, you know, saved his squadron, the others. A formal reprimand for Wesley, completely fine. But having... An entire year of your classes just denied credit. Like, kudos to the writers for finding something interesting to and unique. But I cannot imagine you doing all that work. Like, that goes to the core of what do the grades represent? What does the course represent? For you to wipe that out says, okay, well, if you took this class in anthropology, you still have that knowledge. You can't erase the knowledge. So you can't erase the credit because the whole point is to say, yes, I have mastered this curriculum. Question. So I don't, I don't like that outcome for Wesley. Question for you then, Amy. What if instead of the, the credits being erased, they had been told, you need five extra credits to graduate now instead. So, so they haven't taken the credits away. They're just increasing the number of credits needed to graduate. Would that, would that be different in your mind? Yes, that would be completely different. That would be like uh, behavioral classes, um, how to withstand peer pressure. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's sort of like your therapy. You're going in for reassignment and you have to learn this new stuff because you obviously fell prey to this Nova Squadron peer pressure, which by the way is still existent in the 24th century. We get tons of peer pressure in this episode and I see my kids getting peer pressured all the time. So yeah. Yeah. Cause there's nothing to say that Wesley has to take the exact same courses again. He just needs he just needs five more credits or eight more credits, however many credits he's losing this year. Um, in the end, it could make a more well-rounded Starfleet officer because they, exactly. they're now taking new, new courses. Yeah. And isn't that what you want from, uh, from an academy? And hopefully you have learned from his mistake and not repeat it. 
which I think mm. is what they ultimately want them to learn. So we do learn that uh, other courses that he's taken, statistical analysis and calculus. I was like, woohoo, math is represented in this one. So he's definitely taking math classes. He's also picked up Latin somewhere along the way too. So That's right. Yeah, because Picard greets him. Because yeah. people just speak Latin to each other all the time. But that yeah. seems like it's a, a required course. Because Picard expected them to respond. As if everybody does it when they're at the academy. And what if you were from Vulcan? Like, what use would Latin be to you if you, were, if you weren't a human? <laughs> like, it's a language that's seems... already dead on Earth, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> why, why, not, why not your required language course be Andorian or Tellarite or something instead? Some dead alien language, but whatever. I suppose languages are all kind of not really required, given the fact you've got a universal translator that is always on. Exactly. Which apparently doesn't translate Latin. So when I was watching, I have this question, but I think after talking to you, I might have an answer. So I'm going to ask you, uh, when they were, you know, going through and trying to figure out what happened and Picard asks Jordi and Data to run the data and see what's going on. And Jordi's like, well, we can't do anything because Starfleet Academy has one of the best reconstructive analysis labs in Starfleet. And I was like, why would an academy have the best reconstructive analysis labs in all of Starfleet? I suppose it's like univ universities always have the best kit. Because it's where the research is done, maybe. Mm. Like they invent the things like the new lasers and, I don't know, whatever they're going to invent. All the research is done there. So maybe... But I've never really seen Starfleet Academy as a university in that it's a place where research was done. I think it's, I always saw Starfleet Academy as a place where you go and learn how to be a Starfleet officer as opposed to discovering new things, which I think is where it differs from a present day university. Yeah, I like the idea of research. Yeah. That's easy. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about, Kevin, the reason why we are here. And you mentioned it in First Duty, mm -hmm. that the punishment was pretty harsh. And the next time we see Wesley, he is leaving Star Starfleet mm -hmm. Academy. So what's the going on there? We're now Journey's End. Well... <laughs> He comes on to the Enterprise from, on his vacation with the biggest chip on his shoulder of any character I think we've ever seen on Star Trek The Next Generation up to this point. Um, it's no wonder a lot of people dislike this character if he's going to have an attitude like that. Um, but I think after watching these in order, you know, when we watched these originally, there was almost two years between um, First Duty and Journey's End. But watching them back to back, you realize, oh, he has been a pariah and an outcast and people hate him at Starfleet Academy. I think I'd probably have a chip on my shoulder if that was my situation too. Um, but it just seemed like up to that point, Starfleet Academy was the only thing Wesley wanted. What did we know about Wesley? He wants to be a Starfleet officer. 
And this one episode, that's gone. In one episode, it's gone. And it felt abrupt. But when you stop and think, okay, there's a two-year time span here that could give a person a change of heart. Um, he washed out. He made a major mistake. And he, he was paying for it, not just academically, but I think um, socially as well. And I think that's why we ended up with the Wesley that we saw in Journey's End. I don't like this episode. I like all the other episodes, but this one yeah. is a, a really hokey premise. And it's purely <laughs> yeah. as a send-off for Wesley. And it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel fitting. I think you might be right in saying that there's been a two-year gap. Pretty much it's episode 19 in the first duty and then episode 20, season 7 in Journey's End. Um I think obviously he served his punishment. The credits that um, he did for that year don't count, and he's been living with that mistake. Um, but is that enough? Because he wanted for so long to be in Starfleet, is that enough to get him to change his mind? And he's so he's so annoying, though. Sorry, Amy. He's so he really I, is. I, yeah, I've liked Wesley up to this point, and then he just seems like a sulky, kind of bad-tempered teenager. And I, I don't like you anymore. And he's, what, now 19? No, he was 15 in season one, so this is six years later. He'd be almost 21 at this point, and he he is the worst that he was he ever was in the whole series in this episode. I wonder what the drinking age is on Earth. If, is it a uniform They only have synthahol. Oh, no, that's not working for me. <laughs> <laughs> not going there. Um, Amy, what were you going to say a minute ago? So it would be interesting if we would have known uh, what the discipline actions for the others in the squadron, Nova Squadron, were. Because if we have Locarno's being expelled... Uh, there were five in the group, right? One died, yeah. So one died and the Carnos expelled and we have Wesley. So that's two others. So that is actually quite a small number of friends that he has left. Um, and if they dropped out even before him, we I know see. We know that one of them did not because CEO ended up on oh, the Enterprise. That's right. And Lord X. Yes. Yeah. So, um, Hold on. but so, she yeah. was Bajoran, so she grew up through the occupation. So I think having that punishment in Starfleet and being a social pariah is nothing compared to living on a, an occupied planet and being brutalized by the Cardassians. So it's like, this is easy. You don't like me, I don't care. So, you know, I, th I could definitely see Wesley coming to the conclusion of that this isn't fair. I mean, having those classes erased, I would be livid um it's just not right um so and like you're saying if what is true with his social outcast and not being accepted and having to redo all of this work and just sort of rise above would that i mean obviously it was enough to change him because i mean all the times i can still remember wesley talking to his father's hologram and, you know, I want to be Starfleet just like you, like this childhood. And he loses that, I think, from first duty. 
Um, he loses that childhood innocence. He loses the faith and hope that one has in Starfleet, uh, and it's it's gone. But we see, we see him talk to his dad again when, or in Journey's End, when Chakotay's twin drugs him, <laughs> and he sees his dad, um, and he has a conversation with him. I I, I kind of lost the episode at that point. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, I uh, I did not like the Native American subplot of that episode. Um, I hated that they kept using the term Indian. Oh yeah, uh, which in in Canada that is a, a big no no. They're First Nations peoples. You know, it's a huge issue that we deal with here. Um, and so that just it just rubbed me the wrong way. And I get what they were trying to do, but the the uh, the parallels between what was going on in the episode and historical historically what happened just were bonk bonk on the head. It it, it was awful. It was awful. Uh, this is not a good episode, and I'm sad that a character as as well rounded as Wesley had been up till now had this as his send off. Um, it's it, it's a it's a terrible shame. Well, do you think because when he goes off with the traveler that it's sort of the writer's way of saying, okay, we are living up to our full potential, that Wesley's potential was never going to be reached in Starfleet, that he had to go beyond and go with the traveler for that purpose? You could maybe say that, but I don't think the writers Was Wesley always (laughs) going to wash out of Starfleet? Was he always going to come to this realization that he was meant for bigger and better things, i.e., kind of evolution and ascending to a different plane of existence? Well, when we meet the traveler first, I mean that is early on, and yeah, then we see like him again three. and remember yeah. me. Yeah, so it's sort of set up right at the beginning that Wesley has extra. I'm not buying awesomeness. that premise. That there's okay. a, a child genius on board that's, don't know. I think that was some bad writing mm. at the beginning, and I think, I, I think at the beginning Wesley was Gene Roddenberry's pet character, and um, uh, I think he made some choices for uh, Wesley that that weren't going to pay off well in the end, <laughs> um, and that's one of them. The the chosen one. Uh, he's almost a Harry Potter like, you know, savior of the of the galaxy. You know, you are the chosen one, and I, I don't, I don't know if I buy that completely. I, I like the traveler as a character, the enigmatic uh, wizard almost, uh, but, but I didn't buy it with Wesley. You can be a genius and not be mystical. Yeah, you're right. He's he's like Harry Potter. He's like Luke Skywalker. He's Paul Atreides from Dune. He's yeah, he's all these things rolled up into one. But I think it'd have played better if he was just human. He was just like everybody else. He was just unusually smart for his age, and he went through the academy and became a really good officer. Unlike all those other characters that you just mentioned, though, we got to see them go through their adventures and their life and uh and live up to that potential and we never saw that with wesley uh so if 
if it had been, it was set up in episode one, if it had been sort of gradually woven in through the entire series, maybe the payoff here would be better. But at, at this point, he's been gone from the show for three years. We never see him. And the last time we saw him, he just gotten into trouble for doing something he shouldn't have done. Um, so, so no, the whole chosen one thing doesn't pay off here because of that. You know, I've always wondered with Journey's end, you know, because we are season seven and it is at the latter end of season seven. And it almost makes me feel like it's a precursor to all good things, because I think when they were writing all good things, like they went back to season one, Mm -hmm. you know, and made the tie ins and all good things is brilliant. And they did it expertly. And I love all good things. But it's like Journey's End, sort of they're following that same idea of, well, let's go back, you know, and see where Wesley was season one. Oh, the Traveler, let's bring that idea back. And it's like, no, it did not work with Journey's End. I think they probably had a checklist of things that they needed to pay off for the end of the show because this was, what, episode 20 of season seven? So there's only six episodes left. Uh, of the entire series. So they're like, what are the things we we know our fans are going to want to see before the show ends? Oh, we need to check in on Wesley Crusher once more. And I don't think they did it well here. I think we're all in agreement with that. But we do get to see Wesley again in Nemesis. Is he not in a, in a Starfleet s- uniform? Yeah, yeah. In a deleted scene. He's in a Starfleet yeah, dress. Deleted uniform scene. At He's the, at the wedding. Yeah. Which doesn't make sense. No. I think that's maybe why it's a deleted scene. Yeah. He should, no, do you know what? They should have had him at the wedding, but as like uh, Star Wars dead people coming back. Now it's just like a, would you, like when, who did it? Obi-Wan came back as a vision with Yoda mm. and then Darth Vader was there as well, but he wasn't Darth Vader. He was mm-hmm. back to being Anakin, an older version of Anakin. Yeah, just a vision of Wesley, like, all surrounded by light. <laughs> that would have been fun. Yeah. Silly, but fun. All right, well, let's get to your final thoughts on Starfleet through Wesley's eyes. Kevin, let's start with you. Well, I think, um, I think, like we've been saying, Wesley's a character that, uh, that I really quite liked at the beginning, and they didn't, they didn't pay off his character arc well. Uh, so... I have some major issues with Starfleet Academy. It it doesn't it doesn't seem to work as an institution, but I think I think that could just be one of the situations where the writers make it whatever it needs to be for the story. There's always been rumors of a Starfleet Academy TV series, or or I think there was a comic book series for a while. Maybe I should look at those to see if if other writers have come up with with actual. Um, actual ways that the, that the institution works because as it is, uh, as it sh- is shown on next generation, uh, I don't think I'd be sending my kids there. I think if they did a Starfleet Academy TV show, it would be, it'd be like a teen drama mm-hmm. and it would be like, it would just be super annoying, wouldn't it? <laughs> it'd all be about the relationships and, They'd all fall out, then be friends, and they'd have their remissions and go to classes. But it would be like, oh, what's that thing that everybody was watching? Um, 13 Reasons Why. It'd be like that. Yeah. And you just wanted 
drag your eyes out of your skull. Why does that Vulcan girl never give me any attention? Yes. <laughs> oh my God, I hate you. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Who are you asking to Sadie Hawkins dance? Get out of my head, you beta zed. Uh, I was going to say something nasty, but I won't. <laughs> I like the idea of Starfleet Academy. I think it would be somewhere that you would aspire to go if purely to be in Starfleet, to have that adventurous spirit and go out there and kind of explore the universe. But I think you're right, Kevin, we don't see it in the best light all the time. I don't think they sold it to us as a, as a place that we'd necessarily want to go, which is a shame. Because if I went, I would do it well. I would I would be top of my class. Well, it's never happened. All the... All the characters who ever talk about Starfleet Academy talk about how wonderful their experience at the Academy was. Picard does, Riker does. You know, uh, Data had some social issues, but but he generally had a good time there. We never see a character who said, "Yeah, Starfleet Academy wasn't for me. It sucked." Uh, which which you know, no institution is perfect, but uh, we never we're always told how wonderful it is, and maybe it's not. Does Balana not mention something about her science professor hated her or something? There's something about, yeah, there's something about a, a Starfleet Academy professor, but realizing that Balana was amazing and pushing her, mm. but Balana didn't like it or something. That sounds familiar. Yeah, it does. Hmm. Amy, your final thoughts? It's been very interesting uh, learning about Starfleet Academy, like learning what type of classes that there are, learning uh, what kind of structure that they have. Is this more like a research or is it more like a school dedicated to like officers like you'd mentioned, Kevin? Far, no, West, point. Far point. West Point. <laughs> Far Point, you know. Just knowing that everyone has to go th go through the academy in order to serve in Starfleet, but yet it's still so limited. There's a discontinuity there for sure, mm -hmm. for sure on that. Uh, especially when you look at like uh, Star Trek 09 and you see just hundreds of, you know, thousands of cadets waiting to go out and serve. And it's like, really? Are there, do we have one from every planet? Does that? No, that didn't really sit right. Um, and I liked really thinking about, you know, how is it similar to how we run our schools now compared to then, uh, I think is pretty awesome. I've loved seeing that and like the whole idea of testing and what is it trying to prove and why does that go against us reaching our full potential. Like there's, there's something, a dichotomy there that I haven't quite figured out, which I think is a struggle in any type of educational setting because you want to go to school to learn. Well, how do you know if you learned like it's, and then how are you qualified? It's a whole rabbit hole that educators go down quite often. Yeah. So, um, it's been very interesting, and I've absolutely loved going through this uh, experiment with Starfleet through Wesley's eyes. So thank you, Kevin, so much for coming on Earl Grey. This was great. Kevin this was, was so much fun. Guest. Yeah. 
Thank you. I, I've really had a great time and uh, I, yeah, I, I've loved this conversation and it was fun. It was fun watching Star Trek with a purpose too. And uh, yeah, it was great. So thanks oh, yeah. for inviting me. Yeah. Doesn't that change how you see things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so it's been, way more analytical than you always ever were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Watching, it's yeah. been great. Cool. Yeah. Podcasting makes you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Kevin, where can listeners find you online? Well, um, I have a podcast with a few of my friends. We talk about uh, the entire sort of broad spectrum of science fiction and fantasy uh, things from a from a uh, from a lens of where we are, which is in central Ontario. It's called True North Nerds, so you can look for that podcast where you get fine podcasts everywhere. We also are on Twitter at uh, at True North Nerds. Um, I also want to plug a little uh, Star Trek audio drama podcast that I've been involved with. It's called Endless Vigilance, a Star Trek uh, fan audio drama. I play a character called uh, Commodore Williamson. Uh, it's a very fun show set uh, sort of in the post-Nemesis era. Uh, and you can look for that online as well at Endless Vigilance. Um, so that's been fun. Very good. Just Googled and you all those are things. in the Babel Conference. Oh, of course I'm in the Babel Conference. Why would I not yeah. be in the Babel Conference? Uh, yeah, the Babel Conference. Uh, you, uh, I'm there. Kevin Scarf, S-C-H-A-R-F. You can hit me up there on Facebook. And are you on Twitter? I am. Uh, at True North Nerds is our Twitter. So, okay. yeah. We will tweet you on the Twitter then. Cool. Excellent. Well, it's been so much fun talking about Wesley's Starfleet career today, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here is what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Line, a Star Trek Picard podcast. I like the character, but I would have rather seen Nunian. <laughs> okay, interesting. Tiebreaker de Klerksalagi. That's your new nickname is Tiebreaker. <laughs> Yeah, Chrissy, what do you think? Since Brandon and I think exactly the opposite. Yeah, um, that's all right. <laughs> that's why you got to have three people. It works better. Earl Grey. No, I think the hat's yeah. going to get bigger, but also double as her <laughs> spacecraft. It'll unfold. <laughs> it'll envelop her, and she'll be able to just walk out an airlock and zoom off. <laughs> oh, it's wow. her personal transporter. Oh, there comes the edge. That's stream. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. I like yep. it, Amy. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. For a logic extremist suicide bomber to be shown on screen in Star Trek, blowing up a ship with a high-profile ambassador on it in yeah. uh, Sarek, it is doing exactly what Star Trek usually does mm. in terms of bringing something from the real world straight back into the show. And I thought that that was one of the most stark examples of that in season one with Vlatak. Yeah. The Ready Room. This story, Una's book, which is excellent, and the upcoming third season of Discovery, from what we've seen so far, are all at their core commentaries on our present day. They're commentaries on Brexit, they're commentaries on the Trump administration, they're commentaries on the sort of the way that countries and governments around the world are turning their back on globalization and they're becoming insular and you know science fiction has always been about social commentary and star trek has been about social commentary and so what we're seeing is modern day commentary on the current 
climate of the world, and that's the reason that these stories are taking the form that they're taking, as far as I see it. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favourite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our show on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel. B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter and Instagram at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So Joe, bonus question? Oh yes, please. I like them. I know. Oh, and now Kevin is gone and we didn't. So I'm going to steal his. So tribute to Kevin. Uh, what would be your psych test? Um, okay. So like being in the dark, like being like complete darkness, nothing, the absence of everything, no sensory, like sensory deprivation. Oh, just there's yeah. no light, there's no sound, there's there's no floor, there's no ceiling, there's no walls, there's just me floating in the abyss, or a planet of women. Oh my gosh! Imagine. Okay. Imagine a planet of women. Not the. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> no hot guys today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> super, super t- scary. What would I do in my time? I'd, I'd buy myself a oh holiday. My yeah, get a holiday. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh my gosh. Amy, I can't even. What about you? I can't even. Uh, so, my psych test, well, I was thinking more along the lines of like my profession um, of. And it's very morbid, but uh, someone coming in, trying to kill my students and trying to protect them and save which ones who, you know, if they're at gunpoint, who do I save? Who do I, you know, sort of like Wesley, who who are you going to save? Like A students get behind me. Yeah. Yeah. Or the D's. If there's only a certain, Uh you know, size room. That I can get kids to, but I can't fit all of them in there, you know. Okay, all the C's and D's are human shields. No, the A's and B's go in the room. Yeah, like that. No. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. I know. What? Who? Who do you save? Yeah. It's yeah. it's a. Do you know it's a really old 
philosophy question, isn't it? About morals mm. and ethics. Who do you save? Mm. I don't think there's a right mm. answer. As long as you have justification mm. for what you chose. Well, Joe, where can people contact you when you're not reprogramming the shower to spit out pepper spray? The shower, not the antimatter regulator, because that's dangerous. No. Yes. Don't do that, people. No, Stupid do not do that. People. Um, when I'm not doing that, though, you can get me on the Twitter tweeting, although I'm really bad at using it still. Oh, I have to practice, get better. You can get me there at joeyjoe77uk. You can email me, joepodcasts at gmail.com, and you can get me as normal on the Babel Conference. And again, I'm really bad at using that as well. I'm a social media lurker. Amy, where can people contact you when you're not learning how to rollerblade around Starfleet Academy? Because those those walkways look really good for rollerblading on. Yes. California is really good for having those rollerblades not here. by the ocean. We're like yeah. one step up from cobbled streets. Oh, I have broken many a hill on European cobbled streets. Just saying. Not good. No, it is not good. <laughs> well, you can find me over on United Federation of Podcasts, where I'm hosting All Good Things with my good friend Patrick Devlin. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. I am really trying to be better and tweeting a little bit more. You can, of course, find me on the Babel Conference because I'm there also. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. To get all the details, perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Uh, we'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Jim McMahon, Justin Ozer, and me, Joe Keegan. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Ex astris sciencia. Great joy and gratitude. Joe, so I lost the place. Every week. Not, not, every week. Not, that, not every week. You was you were last week. You, you were last no, week. Uh, this is lies. Yeah, S- Justin backed me up. I did the edit. Justin wasn't even here last week. Oh. <laughs> 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 We'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> 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 okay. 
with l- Kevin, this <clears throat> is what I have to deal with every week. Don't let Joe tell you anything. Yes, different. Amy's sheer unprofessionalism. 